Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are, with me as your host, Sarah Poet. Now, if the word sacred is throwing you a little bit, that's okay. Have you had that moment as a modern woman where you went, wait, I left something of myself back there along the way? Well, if so, then you're already on a path of sacred remembering and you're actually in the right place. We know that modern women are rising, but we don't do it by fighting. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. And here in this space, we remember together through stories and tools and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Now let's begin. Hello, Sacred Remembering community. It's so good to be here with you today. I'm Sarah Poet, the host here at the podcast, and I have an announcement before we get to today's guest, Shade Ashani. The Sacred Remembering podcast has been going really strong for a full year, almost a full year, and we are going to finish out season two in December with about 60 episodes. So if you are new to this space, there is so much rich richness in seasons one and two, and you can go back and um, scroll for that one that just calls to you and, um, or the three or the five or the 10 that call to you there. There's just so much wisdom inside the voices of everyone who has been interviewed here. And I hope that you'll continue to listen. Between seasons two and three, I'm going to take a little break, about a six to eight week break. I'll be back around late January. And season three is going to focus more so on the sacred remembering path of the feminine and masculine reclamation. We're going to be focusing more on the inner union, um, how we as women walk this path, um, how we walk it in relation to our uh, our inner union, our outer union with other beloveds, and um, you know how we're coming home to this divine blueprint of the truth of who we are uh, in our in our bodies, in our souls. And so I really look forward to that, to coming back strong in season three in January. We have a few more episodes here in season two. Please continue to tune in. Go to sarahpoet.com and hop on my mailing list if you would like to stay informed about what is coming uh, for season three three and when we resume. So thank you for being here. This could certainly not happen without you as listeners. I very much appreciate you. I appreciate you reaching out to me and sharing your stories of inspiration. Um, I know that, you know, to own the truth of who you are is a mighty and courageous thing. And so that's why I do it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for living um, in your truth today in exactly the way that you are. So much love. Welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Sarah Poet, and we are raising women's voices and celebrating women waking up to the truth of who they are. Today's guest is Shade Ashani, and I'll read her bio in just a minute. But after completing this interview, I'm just really blown away by this perspective and this very, very important work of healing the father wound, first acknowledging the father wound and then healing the father wound. Um, so I am, I'm just really excited to bring Shade's voice to this audience because while I talk about masculine and feminine archetypes quite a bit, this is a different way of talking about this conversation and I really found it um, very refreshing and um, 
there's just so much to dive into, so much to dive into. I know that this episode is really going to land in you. Um, so I really love the message that Shadai brings forward at the end of the podcast about worth and value. So there's a lot here about our innate worthiness, women. So listen for that. And I just really also want to say that everyone experiences this issue. You know, I think that when things go wrong in love or we didn't behave in a relationship like we wanted to behave, or we look back and we say like, why didn't I um, pay attention when those red flags were there? Those kinds of things. I want to acknowledge that something that might come up and arise right there is shame. And, um, I know that I've experienced this myself. And so you're definitely not alone, but as you're listening to this episode and, um, we're naming some of these things and you are, you're going to see yourself in this episode is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, then bring love right to that place of you that didn't know before, you know, because we're, we are waking up to the truth of who we are and the truth of who we are includes that we are carrying, um, father wounds. We live in a patriarchy. We're carrying father wounds, period. Like Shade says in this episode that, you know, she's never met a woman who didn't express, um, one or more of these archetypes that she discovered in her work. And so, it's all of us. Um, you are not alone by any means and, you know, self-love right to the place where you start to feel the pang of beliefs like I should have known better or why can't I get over this yet? Or why is this still impacting my life? It's still impacting your life because it's still the patriarchy out there. Um, but I mean, actually it's falling away, but you know, as far as the 3D uh, believes and as far as like our cells remember, um, you know, this is, um, this is real. And, you know, we are moving in the direction of creating a new earth. And, you know, when women are waking up and become empowered with the knowledge and then um, embrace the walk forward, that's what creates uh, the new earth that we want to live in and, and really heals these patterns. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Shade. And here is the bio and the interview. Today's incredible guest is Shade Ashani. She's an author, speaker, coach, and international philanthropist. She graduated from Columbia University and earned her master's in public health from Tulane University. She interviewed hundreds of women age 18 to 75 and found an absolute difference between girls who grew up with and without their fathers. She gained a profound understanding of the different ways that women are wounded by their fathers and then go on to live as if those wounds are the truth. Shade wrote a book called In Search of My Father about how healing her relationship with her father truly set her free to experience healthy love. Now she coaches women to heal the wounds that their fathers left behind, and she speaks at colleges and conferences around the country. Hello, Shade. Welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's really awesome to have you here and just thank you so much for your time and your expertise and your work in the world. I look forward to diving in and I know that there are so many women listening that are really going to benefit from this conversation. So thank you for lending your voice. An honor. So I watched your TEDx. Um, Lillian Love, who was recently on the podcast, who's a friend, um, recommended that I know about you. And as soon as I watched your TEDx, it's called How to Stop Falling in Love with Potential. I was like, I know I am connected to this woman. There was, it, a, <laughs> it was your story of exploring how the father wounding or the wounding from your father had played out in love relationships until you realized what was going on. And then you devoted your path to this um, or your professional path to this. It sounds like, um, 
So I would love if you would introduce to the listeners the concept of the father wound. Sure. So when I was at Tulane University working on my master's, I started interviewing women. Um, And I ended up interviewing around just over 300 women about how their relationships with their fathers uh, later went on to impact uh, their lives and relationship outcomes. And what I found was that daughters who grew up with their fathers are night and day different than girls who grew up without their dads. Hmm. And then furthermore, that having an absent, abusive, or inconsistent father is actually worse than having no father at all. Okay, wait, having an absent, abusive, or inconsistent father was worse than having no father at all. Wow. Okay. I needed to like slow that down. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, if someone is breaking promises to you and saying, I'll be there for your birthday, but then he doesn't, or is abusive, uh, that it's actually better off if, you know, mom sat you down and said, I, I don't know who he is, honey. It's just you and me. Yeah. Um, wow. So, so, so yeah, what, what I ended up really starting to understand was that women were longing to reconcile this dynamic, uh, that they wanted to get to the bottom of what happened between the two of them. And they would enroll men in their lives to start the storyline over again. You be dad, mm-hmm. I'll be me, and we'll get it right this time. I'll figure mm-hmm. out unconsciously. how to love you. So, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally It's, it's not okay. on the surface. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, attempting to recreate the storyline. I'll love you so much that you stop drinking this time, that you won't hit me this time, that you'll stay this time. And yeah, it shows up over and over and over again until we acknowledge that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what I refer to as, as the father wound is however we choose to respond to that. And I found six archetypes that sort of make up the father wound response. Um, and those are the CEO. She becomes <laughs> controlling and uh, picks up kind of like this shield, this armor, um, and mm. tries to protect and provide for herself. And she often dates down, uh, dates men she doesn't respect. Uh, that's a big one. Mm. Then the, the savior who tries to save, heal, coach, help men um, in order to feel worthy enough to receive love. It's very difficult for her to understand that love can just be given freely. So um, she feels she has to earn it and work for it. Um, the merger... She loses herself totally. Have you ever met someone who just like completely loses their identity and relationship? They have a whole yeah. new set of uh, clothes, interests, hairdo uh, to, to match the person that they're with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a, 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 usually indicative of deep psychological pain. Mm-hmm. Mergers are chameleons who had to spend their childhoods answering the question, who do I have to be? What do I have to do in order to be lovable? Mm-hmm. And found that that internal answer was, you know, I'll do anything and um, are are willing to merge. Mm -hmm. Um, It also kind of lets you off the hook in life. You don't have to self-actualize. You have to be you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, And then Mrs. Commitment, who just wants to be married so very much. She just doesn't care who pops the question, just wants to get married and uh, feels that that will, you know, erase the shame of the past. It'll all be worth it once she gets down the aisle. Um, like she wants the external savior. Yes. Yeah. She wants okay. to be rescued, the damsel rescued. in distress storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kiss me and wake me up from my miserable life. Let me know when it's over mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then there's um, shutting down which is just, you know, she's done. She doesn't want to do it anymore. Um, we often see this after some really harsh um, experiences in love, you know, mm. married to someone who had a double life and had a child with someone else. And then she just literally never moves on, never dates mm. again. Mm. Um, 
that's, you know, really showing up in our, our mother's generation right now. Mm. Quite a few um, of these in my own family. Um, mm. Where we are just done. Not going to do it again. <sighs> yeah. And I yeah. feel like I'm missing one. Who am I okay, missing? Okay, well, you know what? I made <laughs> notes. Oh, the angry one. Was it the, it's the angry one. Ah, yes. The vengeful. The femme fatale, yes. <laughs> uh, she, she wants to um, exact revenge. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. was deeply wounded by the masculine and is taking it out on them. I'll cheat on you before you cheat on me. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. And, then, mm. and in a lot of pain. Yeah. So you are doing your master's in, did you say public health? Yeah, I went the science route. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you interviewed all these women and you found these six archetypes. This is so powerful. (laughs) (laughs) It kept popping up over and over again. I was interviewing different versions of this woman over and over again. I was like, okay, I'm hearing the same stories. What what are these storylines that keep reappearing over and over again? And these, these were them. Beautiful. And then is this, so you've written a book called In Search of My Father. Mm -hmm. And do you write about these archetypes in the book? I don't actually. I wrote In Search of My Father when I was 19 years old. And (laughs) um, it's the story of my teenage life and how deeply impacted I was by my father leaving when I was 13 years old. Okay. Can we go there? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, our work, you know, it sprouts from those places, right? So, yeah. Okay, so wow, you wrote the book when you were 19. Um, I'm I'm sorry I haven't read it, but you know what? It's been in my Amazon cart for like a year. (laughs) Like like we are supposed to meet or something, but um, I can't wait to read it. So, okay. So you lost your father when you were 13 or he left when you were 13. Yeah, he said he was going on a business trip and that he would be back in six months. And he dragged that on for 12 years until his death. And I never spent mm-hmm. longer than two weeks at a time with him again. So, Did, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. Did he ever address it? No. Okay. He just continued talking about projects and meetings with mm-hmm. the president and you know such and such thing that it was just going to keep continuing on. Um, my parents stayed married until he passed, which was very important to my mother. And I didn't understand that. Mm. It was very difficult for me to wrap my head around. I felt it was very obvious we had been abandoned and it was time to start acting like it. Mm -hmm. Mm. So have, have you had that conversation with her? Is she able to have that conversation with you? Oh yeah. She can meet me there. Okay. uh, but it wasn't something she was ready to do. And she had a very Catholic upbringing mm. and she uh, did not want to be divorced and mm-hmm. had, you know, some pretty serious computer programming surrounding divorce as sin. Yeah. And yeah, it just wasn't computing for yours truly at around 15. It's like, he's been gone. He's in here. You could file for abandonment. Right. Right. So it's just, I mean, it's like such a mind fuck because you're, there's no directness. You're just trying to figure out what's going on. And then what were some of the stories that you started to tell yourself about his disappearance? Oh yeah. What, what started out as why did he go so, so very quickly became, why wasn't I good enough for him yeah. to stick around? Yeah. And that if I had been smarter, prettier, better at something he wouldn't have been able to leave. I was the kind of daughter who was abandonable. And I definitely yeah. internalized that and became obsessed with overachieving. Yeah. Um, to try and put as many blue ribbons and plaques and trophies around my name as I possibly could. And that really informed the, yeah, the foundation of the way I interacted with people. I was always throwing these alkalades up on the altar, like, look, look at all of this stuff I've done. Am I worthy mm-hmm. to be loved now? Mm-hmm. And uh, what I found was that people who really loved me would, you know, clear the altar off of all these clattering gold and shiny things and be like, I just, 
want to love you and mm. your your heart and that was very uh confronting for me i wasn't actually ready to receive that i was still mm. very committed to the dynamic of earning striving achieving working for love mm. um I'm a retired savior. I retired the cape. That was my next question. Like, what were you? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, now I kind of want to, and I'm, I'm a retired, like a few of these for sure. Mm -hmm. Different, at different points, like definitely the helper, um, the savior, definitely see that in my own mother went into CEO mode, like as a young wife, Um, Mm -hmm. like definitely very emasculating, um, controlling to feel safe. Yep. Right. Because I had no idea how unsafe my childhood had truly been. Like my trauma was still very deeply hidden. Like it was, it was subconsciously acting out, but, um, I was really looking for safety and control in ways that I didn't even have words for, you know, for the first like 12, 15 years of my adult life, like in twenties and thirties, Um, yeah. And then like, after playing this out, like you're talking about, like, we're, we're looking for the resolution for the father wound. Um, oh my gosh, are we ever. And so the last two men I dated before my current partner and before like a deep dark night of the soul where I was like, I'm going to find this, I'm going to like heal this. Um, and I even, you know, I had this like career and passion studying feminine masculine. Like I talked about these things I knew about them and I still was doing this and looking for the resolution with the masculine, with the, with the father wound. I'm just telling the story for listeners to be like, yeah, we all do this. (laughs) And, um, and then, you know, it hurt so hard, even though I had like, I realized what I had done. I was just like, I really never want to do that again. And then I went through like a shutting down and I really feel like, it was spirit that came in and was like, you're not done yet. Like define what you want, get back out there. And then as soon as I did that, like two weeks later, my partner came and approached me and said, you know, like, I'd like to, I'd like to ask you out. And he had waited, you know, something like six or eight months to do that. And I didn't know that, you know, but it was just like all sort of divinely orchestrated, but I really needed to move that so that, I was not projecting that father wound anymore, but it's so deep. It gets it really, really in there. And I, I think mm-hmm. one of the ways that was particularly in like insidious for me was how I showed up as the teacher. Um, was the savior complex sounds really sweet on the surface, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want to help people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that, you know, that I would try and bring that, bring charity work into my love life still on its face doesn't sound so terrible. But when you dig in there, codependency gets real dark real fast. <laughs> and uh, uh, what really, what really helped me to get clear on, on this aspect was to remember that the host is far more powerful than the parasite. And Mm-hmm. to to let go of the idea that I could control my partner's health or his work life or any of it to stop showing up as a mom. Mm-hmm. And that as soon as I started Googling around on his behalf, I was out of line. Mm-hmm. Right. And okay. So like, I don't have numbers here, but I mean, all most women are doing one of these six things. Like what are, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, this is really pervasive. I want to just normalize. Like I want to normalize. This is very pervasive. Indeed. Indeed. I, I have yet to meet an un uh, father wounded daughter. (laughs) So, Ah. or an, yeah, yeah. It's all of us on some level. We're all holding some version of this. Yeah. And I think it is really important to normalize it and let us all face it together as a feminine collective. Yeah. So do you want to speak to why you think we're all holding it? Mm. Short answer, patriarchy. Yeah. Long answer. 
Hmm. Long answer is, I think we have been all all wounded in some way. You know, we're all holding some ancestral trauma. There's huge studies on inherited trauma that we actually literally pass it down through the DNA. Um, and part of why it feels so hard and so scary is that, you know, if we just go back a couple hundred years, like we're not seeing father abandonment for any other reason than really war. Mm, um, wow. mm-hmm or some sort of, you know, famine or disease kind of thing. A father wouldn't leave his children in 1492. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really why, that's, that's not really what comes up. It's really these last two generations where we've got dads leaving of their own accord or not sticking around to raise their children. We were in tribes and communities that would be totally unacceptable. So I think part of why it's so activating for us as women is um, it hits into that that ancestral DNA memory. Like a father wouldn't leave unless he was going to war or he was dead. So yeah, we're mm. activated and, and afraid and terrified. Somebody has to protect the front of the cave. Somebody has to um, take, you know, protect and provide. Right. So, Right. So uh, thank you so much. I, I haven't thought about it in that way that the, the reason that it would have happened historically was death. I haven't thought of it that way. Um, And war is such a, you know, construct of of a patriarchal culture as well. Um, So then, you know, what's happening in men that like what would you say was going on with your dad or like how has patriarchy also impacted these fathers that now don't know how to show up or then the men you know that were trying to date and like work out the wounds but it's like um well pause the question there yeah what is going on with men that it is <laughs> acceptable to abandon one's children? That's a very good question. I think in part, they haven't been shown the way. Right. Um, they have so few, God, you know, my heart really goes out to them on this, like so few grandfathers and leaders to really sit at the feet of yeah. and uh, learn how to yeah. be a man. We've, we've lost our rites of passage. You know, in, in an ideal world, somebody would have sat down with my ex-husband when we got pregnant and helped him transition into fatherhood mm-hmm. and talk to him about, you know, what was coming and what to expect, mm-hmm. how to get through this process. So, so that yeah, that's what really comes to mind for me is that they've lost their leaders, we've lost our rites of passage, mm-hmm. we've lost our initiations, welcome to manhood. Mm-hmm. I remember being so deeply impacted, um, you know, around the seventh, eighth grade mark when I had you know a considerable amount of Jewish friends, and it seemed you know every weekend was a bar or bat mitzvah, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is beautiful, this transition mm-hmm. and welcoming by the community into manhood into womanhood to stand before the people and be honored as such this mm-hmm. time and that sort of marking uh, before your elders was so beautiful and we are we are missing those and men i think in particular are um are hungry for that yeah when we when we look at you know, kind of what's rising up right now in the coaching world and in these retreats and, um, yeah, in this wellness culture. Um, I see a lot more women than men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you know Jetty Azuma? 
he yes i do you know, I, know um, I interviewed him in may i did like a, a month of all episodes about the mother and so he came on and spoke to exactly what you're talking about the need for the rites of passage and and that's his work in the world um but yeah direct link to how men then show up to serve the community and family and really um, embody that, you know, protector, provider. Um, I think that there's a lot of pressure too on men to be that, like in researching for my TEDx, you know, like white middle-aged men, like the same men that we say are the most privileged have the highest rates of suicide. And so there's this like pressure you know, to like be, to, to uphold this like notion of, you know, what manhood is and it's just not working anymore. Like it's not even, it's not working for men um, either. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to talk about worth and how this begins to formulate in a young girl, young woman's psyche uh, about worth. I know I have my stories about this. You probably do too. But um, yeah, worth and like feeling worthless, feeling um, undervalued, not worth it, not worth showing up for, not worth you know loving fully, all of those things. Yeah, I, I think a really, really short uh, synopsis of my work would be that father wounds manifest as unworthiness and mother wounds manifest as self-sabotage. <laughs> and mm. yeah, so that's the, the, my really short thesis, uh, if I could boil five years of work down. Um, so what, is, what does that really mean? Unworthiness... Unworthiness really shows up uh, in the father wounded daughter as like having to hustle for it. She's going to start like working for her worthiness and uh, trying to exchange deeds doing um, instead of, you know, deeply understanding that she is worthy because of who she's being um, of who she is. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely struggled with this, um, it was the primary motivator behind all of my saving, coaching, helping, healing, um, to the extent that people would, and, and particularly men I was dating, would say that, that I was perfect. And um, I, I certainly wasn't perfect. I just had perfected how I wanted to be seen, which was as the teacher. So I would climb up on my pedestal where I felt very safe and, uh, and date down from there and hand out books and lectures and God, I must've been such a pain in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, yeah, Getting really clear that I wasn't safe up on that pedestal at all. And then, Mm. you know, that, that very same uh, languaging that came through as, you know, in the beginning as so loving, it felt like, felt like it was loving. Um, you know, you're out of my league. I don't deserve you. You're so perfect mm. kind of stuff. Um, yeah, would be would would you know turn on its head and would be um, this the source of, of arguments and why we would why we would be you know really fighting. Hmm. So yeah. Once I really got, came to understand that men were not interested in um, some sort of perfected version of me, that I was hiding my humanity from them, and that that was enraging, um, a, lot got, a lot got clear. Mm. I was doing that because I didn't feel worthy to receive love. I thought I had to work for it and earn it, and that I could um, protect myself from being abandoned again by picking some fixer upper project of a man. Um, and then once I helped him, he would never leave. It was he would be full, loyal. Yeah. It was a foolproof plan to protect myself against abandonment. So 
So said my ego. And yeah, yeah, I found that to be um, very untrue. (laughs) And that showing up as a mother or the rehab center set me up to experience what, you know, what those two things are really designed for, which is to have an end date in mind. We aren't meant to nurture and mother in that way forever. And rehab centers have an end date Mm. in mind. Mm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I that's what I kept uh, manifesting in when I showed up as unworthy and that I had to work for it. That's all I did was work for it. There was no yeah. Uh, yeah, there was no stopping that storyline. Yeah, and what I really want to draw out here is like we do this to ourselves. I mean, it's it's the wound that has to do with the father, or you know, I talk about the masculine archetype. Like it's that wound. But we, as long as we're looking to a man to heal or prove the wound, we're going to keep getting the proof that, that it hurts <laughs> or mm-hmm. like, you know, we, we can't heal it that way. We can't right. heal it that way. Yeah. So um, before we move to like, well, how do we heal it? I, w- I would love to talk about, um, money and how you found that the father wound relates to a woman's ability to earn wealth, believe in her wealth. Yeah. So, so love and money are both worth issues. And what we find is that a lot of us are still holding on to, you know, very traditional ideas about, um, about money. Uh, and that, if I were to ask one of my clients to write a letter to men and write a letter to money, they would sound very similar. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I want more of you. Where are you when I need you? You let me down. I'm scared of you. I hate you. I love you. Come sit next to me. Why does it have to be so hard? Um, kind of storylines mm-hmm. show up. Mm-hmm. And um, fathers have a very important social role, which is to protect and provide for their children. And when we don't do, when they don't do that, money can sort of get wrapped up in our grievances with fathers and men, where it isn't just that our dad let us down, money did too. Money mm-hmm. was not there when we needed it. And now we have resentful feelings that are entangled in the story. We, and women often use money to try and rescue men. Hmm. So the, the story becomes embittered uh, with, yeah, with those moments where hmm. the, boyf- mm-hmm. the boyfriend didn't pay us back or we invested in uh, the ex-husband's business that went belly up and we find ourselves feeling really angry with men and money at once. Yeah. Yeah. Totally hear that. Totally relate to that. I've got lots of (laughs) evidence of, um, Mm -hmm. of the father money connection and, um, yeah, for sure. So, okay. So how do actually, I want, I wanted to talk about TEDx just a little bit more. Um, and I don't know if you don't want to go here, we don't have to go here, but, um, okay. So I did a TEDx, yours was, um, published this year. Was it in February of this year? Yes. Technically it, it was filmed in December of last year, but yeah, I think it finally got up there around February. Sounds about right. Okay, cool. Yeah. And please everyone go watch it. And, um, how was your experience with TED? Did you see any threads of, of a, you know, <laughs> I'll say a patriarchal wounding or a father wounding in Ted? Or did I just see that because my father wound was still active? <laughs> 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 um, I had trouble with, with Ted. They, they didn't understand my message and they nearly censored it. And, you know, that really struck some like patriarchal father chords with me, uh, which I did a podcast about because I ended up doing a vagina monologues like very soon after my TEDx was released. And I I did a podcast episode where I um, 
just looked at those two experiences and like the freedom of the female voice and the vagina monologues versus all of the rules and then the potential like um, censorship from Ted um, of the woman's voice and story. So I just, you know, wondered if you had any thoughts about that or, or what your experience was like. Sure. So my event that I spoke at was a TEDx women event. And so all of the organizers were women and I'm sure that had very much to do with my experience. All of the speakers that day were women and most of the audience uh, at the event was women, uh, you know, students at the, the university. And I think for that reason, my experience was probably markedly different from yours. Um, I, I really enjoyed um, the interview process and, you know, the suggestions that, gosh, I can't remember what her name is, Hannah, something, um, made. And, yeah, it was, it was powerful and positive experience for me. Um, sorry to hear that, uh, that there was some feelings of impact and, and censorship for you. That's unfortunate. Mm. I yeah, think that's thank what you. TEDx is supposed to be about. I know, right? Yeah, it was like uh, questioning assumptions was the theme. And um, now I do want to mention that it wasn't the local Asheville um, committee. Like they were very, very supportive. And um, a man holds the license or held the license in Asheville. And he did um, speak up for my talk. But it was like the nebulous, you know, the people in New York that I couldn't, like I could never talk to them. They, they wouldn't talk talk to me or ask clarifying questions or anything like that. It's very interesting. Indeed. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, But enough about that. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I just, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, another structure, you know, another structure that, um, you know, do you want to uplift women's voices and truth in a new earth? Or, you know, do you really want it to be more of the same? Um, And so... Yeah, it's a it's a question, but I'm really glad that you had a different experience, and um, I'm so glad about that. It's a really beautiful talk. Thank you. So, do you ever talk about the archetypes? Like, you talk about the feminine and feminine. I, I saw some things on your Instagram about embodiment and, and things like that, and the return of the feminine. And so, do you ever talk about the masculine archetype? as it relates to the feminine or the masculine archetype in women? That's not really my expertise, but Mm -hmm. one of the places where, you know, where I really notice this show up is in, uh, is in the archetypes of of the CEO and and the one who's feeling so vengeful, um, who are really trying to defend and protect the self and, uh, on some level, like want to restore to righteousness. It's like she wants the the scales to be balanced, um, mm-hmm. and is trying to create some fairness um, in the world. And so, yeah, that's a, a, essentially it's like the masculine archetype of the warrior who is out of balance, um, mm. and he gets really you know angry and starts pushing against the the boundaries and you know might get himself a record on assault charges and all that kind of stuff it's it's the same side of you know the other side of the same coin masculine mm-hmm. and feminine yeah. right yeah i was thinking that when you were going through your um your archetypes or is that what you call them your mm-hmm. yeah um I was, I was kind of like looking at it through like, oh, where is the masculine and where is the feminine inside of this woman, inside of this archetype, you know, like, is it inflated, deflated, you know, conscious, unconscious kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love to sort of play in, in those realms. Um, so how did you get your power back? How did you reclaim this worth? What was, what was that path like? I had a catalyzing moment. I was Mm. dating back-to-back jealous, possessive, controlling, abusive men. Mm. And 
Uh, I was in a very serious relationship at 23. We, um, we, I thought, <laughs> I thought I was in love and I, I made a piece of toast in his kitchen and um, looked down as I heard a sound and it was the sound of my hands, you know, shaking so badly holding the plate. And I had like a check-in with myself. I was like, what's going on? Mm. And I didn't know where I could eat the toast in his house and not get in trouble. Wow. And because I was like, oh, I'll get crumbs somewhere and then he'll scream at me and I'll be in trouble. And I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know Mm. what I could do where I could eat this toast. I was like, should I eat it on the balcony? Should I eat it in the bathroom over the toilet? Should I eat it in the kitchen sink? And then da, 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 I didn't know what to do. And for some reason mm-hmm. that was a moment that like, you know, sort of jolted me like that's fucked up. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Um, where, why can't I eat toast? And right. you know, some, some other version of me showed up. And, uh, we had, we had a conversation about it later on and he pushed me. Um, and that was, that was my wake up call that this was getting worse. I, you know, was in these back to back relationships with men who were not nice to me. And I had just graduated to physically abusive. I was like, we're going the wrong direction. This, Mm. (laughs) this has to stop. This train has to stop here before I end up barefoot and pregnant calling my sister from a payphone like you have to come get me um mm-hmm. you know I had all I had all the red flags of being isolated from friends and being cut down and dreams you know being told they were dumb and blah 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 mm-hmm. all that stuff and so yeah I actually feel like on some level there is a thank you in my soul to that person um for really jolting me awake And I became obsessed with healing and understanding why I was drawn to these types of men. Um, None of my other friends seemed to be in relationships with men who were calling them names. And I was like, I mean, why me? You know, like (laughs) I'm brilliant and beautiful. And I, what, what is going on? And yeah, that's so 23 years old became obsessed with, healing therapy reading about codependency understanding how we are affected by narcissistic abuse and yeah just really getting clear on what was going on with me so how did I actually stop dating men like that I think was putting a hard stop on all dating for a Mm. year (laughs) and just um, getting really clear on me and what was going on with me and it was so much easier to spot now. Um, the, the red flags start off as jokes is one of my favorite things to say about this. Mm. It's just, you know, a little joke about um, what I'm wearing or um, what I'm working on or just a little joke, you know, at the expense of women. Um, hmm. Yeah, that that seems so far away now. It's like 15 years ago. (laughs) Um, It seems like ancient history um, from the young woman who, yeah, just wanted so desperately to be loved and likable. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud of her. I'm thankful to her for putting in the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, 23, that's like badass <laughs> recognition you know <laughs> like I have to do this and uh it didn't you know it didn't take you like another 15 years or something like that and it's okay if you know wherever we are in our paths is, is perfect but um you know that's that's quite a big recognition in just in my judgment or in my opinion um to do that and realize that when you're 13 and then so your master's was after that you were like I this is a thing I have to go after it and yeah. And study this. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think I'm asking this for listeners um, as well. Like, do you still see remnants of this in yourself and in relationships? And um, is it still popping up? Or would you say it's like healed, healed? 
I would say it pops up within my relationship with myself, but no longer mm. romantically, mm. which I'm really, really grateful for. Or, mm-hmm. it, or rather that I'm able to talk about it. Right. Instead of sort of, you know, bumbling around in the dark, crashing my toe against the, you know, living room furniture in the middle of the night. It doesn't have that feeling anymore. Right. Um, it's more like, oh, here we are again with me feeling insecure, mm-hmm. like you might disappear. So I try and make myself feel indispensable to you by making myself feel smarter, more special, more spiritually evolved. Here's this book recommendation I have for you kind of thing mm-hmm. will show up. And I can recognize it showing up as the desire instead of actually having the conversation with my person. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, before it get, I'm able to catch it before I get to, you know, sitting down with him and then getting to complain that he's not doing his work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it still pops up, but you're, you're conscious of the patterns and you're watching it and you're naming it and you're being with it. Um, yeah. And then yeah. I get to say, Hey, I feel like making a book recommendation, which means I'm feeling insecure in this yeah. relationship. Can, can we talk about it? <laughs> right. Can we just talk about what's actually going on? I love that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, um, okay. So you took a year off. What do you recommend for women who are listening? And I know that you have some online offers as well. Um, what do you recommend for women who are like, Oh my gosh, I totally see myself in one of these archetypes. I need to do something about it. Sure. So in my opinion, if, if you're seeing yourself in one of these archetypes and it's time to really do this, you know, work of worthiness and get clear on that. So the work that I walk women through is looking for where unworthiness is hiding in their lives. And what that really means is what's stuck, what isn't, what isn't working and bringing the belief system up from the subconscious to the conscious where we can actually see it and look at it. I I believe that we're building our adult lives on the blueprints of of our childhood belief system. And so if Mm -hmm. what is, you know, sort of in the woodwork there is I have to work hard in order to be lovable. I have to put up with crap in order to be loved. Money is evil and men can't be trusted. Then no wonder we're having the adult experience we're having. The ego longs so desperately to be right. you know, call in these experiences so we can prove back to ourselves how right we are. Right. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So if we want to stop doing that, then, um, then I I believe it actually takes a big moment in in our lives for us to be willing to do this kind of work Um, for women who show up, you know, in, in my work who are kind of like, Oh, you know, maybe I could keep going like this. It hasn't been that bad, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's there's no work for us to do um Mm -hmm. it's really the when we get to the bottom of ourselves and we acknowledge that we don't know how to move forward from here Mm -hmm. that we can actually create lasting change in our lives Mm -hmm. Uh, this pain tends to get our attention in the love life um women come to me usually on the heels of some sort of divorce or breakup or period of you know, just exhausting repetitive patterns or chronic singleness. Um, and, and I have the honor of explaining that this pain may be getting your attention in, in the love life, but the love life isn't really the root of the problem. Uh, right. It's kind of like if I was a massage therapist or a chiropractor and someone came to me like adamant that the pain was in the shoulder and they needed help with the shoulder. You know, I'd, I'd get to explain and look at the x-rays like, okay, well, the pain may be showing up loud, getting your attention up there in the shoulder, but actually your whole spine is out of alignment. Right. And that's, and, and the shoulders where it's hollering at you. So similarly for, for the father wounded daughter, the love life may be shouting to get our attention. We've also been conditioned to look there and value that pretty much. We got here fresh off the presses of heaven. We started getting conditioned to prioritize marriage, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, we're out of alignment in our boundaries, our relationship with food, our self-care, our experience of self-love, our relationship with money, our career, all of this is out of alignment. We're working some job we hate. We can't figure out how to connect passion and profits. We're eating for comfort. We are avoiding our bank account and overdrafting in there. And all of that's out of alignment. And that's relevant. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. When we pop those back into place and start living a life that is a reflection of our values, then suddenly the love life is free to function the way it was always meant to. And, and one thing that I'd really love to clear up on, on that space is that there seems to be some pop psychology, pop spirituality, woodoo hoodoo about how like you are who you attract or that it's some mm. sort of reflection of you who shows up. And uh, I would just like to uh, eliminate <laughs> that line of thinking. Um, uh, men are attracted to women. All kinds of men show up in women's lives. And uh, I think what we believe we deserve and uh, what we've been conditioned to allow is far more indicative of, of who we thought we are than right. who shows up in your you know, online dating inbox. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Distinct- Let's break down that distinction a little bit more because it's not. So if, if you believe that what you attract, like if you attract something and you get hurt and you say, well, you are what you attract. And so I deserve, that's like a lack of worth. That's like a deservedness, mm-hmm. you know, concern. Exactly. And then, but we, you know, I, I think you're also saying, and, and I agree with this, that, you're attracting what you, what the words that I would use is like what your soul or psyche wants to resolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like different. It is. I think that also leads into, you know, as we get healthier, we'll start attracting healthier people and then we'll find that um, perhaps the, the body isn't as interested and the body misses, you know, sort of lust, animalistic hunger, electricity of the chemistry of, of the past. Um, and what we have experienced as chemistry or lust and uh, I think can also be described as like our attraction to uh, chaos, friction with this sort of animal sense that there's something here to resolve. Um, and that when that is missing, there is no friction of chaos drama something here to fix um, we can find ourselves quite bored with the stable healthy loving person right yeah <laughs> so true <laughs> such a good point yeah I mean so so many relationships are really like in the trauma bond yep you know you have the father wound and the mother wound um running and then like that's what attracts you and so that's what's bonding, you know, until you become conscious together. Amen. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I do couples work right there in that space. It's like, yeah, we just, we got to get conscious. Um, So let me ask you, I I would love if you would share with listeners where to find you on the web and what you offer online, because I think you have some online programs and you do one-on-one support as well. And so um, I just, I feel so many women being like, I need to know this woman. So you're on Instagram and um, where else can, can folks find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm also uh, at my website where you can have a look at you know, various programs and, uh, and courses and things like that. It's uh, shadiashani.com. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to be of service. This is my life's work and how I got out of cyclical, painful relational dating patterns and got to show up and experience healthy love and a healthy relationship with money. So I'm, I'm honored to stand just a few steps, a, a few steps ahead while my clients baby Bambi bumble their way forward. Right. Um, We're all on the path. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm. So, I'm inclined to ask you what kind of joy, I mean, you just mentioned some of like the things that happen, but when you lay down this patterning or this unconscious behavior for, for women, can you describe what becomes available? What do you see in women? Oof what becomes available. Uh, I named my course get free, stay free because that was the word that women kept saying. So I feel free. And uh, I think freedom for each of us looks different, but I think an overarching theme is that we stop 
actively participating in committing acts of violence against ourselves um, mm. and, and raise up, you know, the inner mother and the inner father to protect and provide for the self, to nurture and care for the self, to stop sort of like hungrily searching all over the world for something to come from the outside of us um, mm. and, and begin to deeply understand that it must come from within and that it can be matched um, on the outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything else you want to say that I haven't covered? Just kind of open the space here. Yeah, I just wanted to, to remind the women who are listening today that, that you arrived here on this planet, stamped mm-hmm. on the forehead worthy, and nothing and no one has ever been able to alter that. Mm. So, so the, the work um, isn't about creating some sort of new version of, of a woman, but really just remembering our E-member, really actually putting, putting back together the, the original design who you've always been. Mm. Thank you so much. Very inspiring. I felt that deeply. Thank you for being here and thank you for your work in the world and, and walking as you do. Thank you so much. An honor. Appreciate you, Sarah. Mm-hmm. You too. Thank you, Shade, for today's interview. And thank you, listeners, for being here. I'm Sarah Poet, and you can find more about my work at sarahpoet.com, including the couple's work and the archetypal rebalancing work that was mentioned here today. In full transparency, because I always like to be in full transparency to my audience, and one of the main reasons that I am holding this podcast is so that we share voices um, authentically and that we are willing to get vulnerable with one another and knock off the damn perfectionism already. Um, But I just want to say, you know, between the time that we recorded this episode and the release date, which is like six to eight weeks, I've been heavily diving into another aspect of father wounding that arose in my partnership that I didn't see. Um, And then he began feeling it, you know, I was trying to sort of manage the, uh, the shadow aspect in order to keep myself safe. And that was a subconscious thing. And these things are, they're patterned. They're patterned in us from the beginning. So, um, you know, I I was re-listening to this podcast and I was like, well, damn, I need to own that. Um, yep. Did it again. (laughs) So we do this and we learn and we bring more aspects of ourselves back. We notice, oh, I'm, you know, giving this part of myself away and in, uh, in hopes that it's going to prove this or that to me. And so what I'm going to do is, uh, pull that part back, call that soul part back, heal, integrate, love, forgive the men, you know, like all the, all the parts of the work. And, um, and it feels so damn good. Like I can also say that, uh, working through this shadow element that arose because everything's arising so that we can look at it. I mean, that's, that's all it is. It's arising not to kick your ass, but not to make life harder, (laughs) but to actually give you the opportunity to do that integration and come home to yourself. And, um, you know, Shade and I, we, we know about these things because we, (laughs) we've lived it, we do it. Um, so yeah, we're, we're healing all healing right alongside, uh, one another and to have, gone through this in the last, you know, six weeks or so, um, I probably integrated one of the largest, um, deepest, I'll say like deepest soul fragmentation elements around the father, um, to date, you know, and, it's so beautiful because there's so much forgiveness in my heart. There's so much love, in my heart. Um, there's not the judgment 
in my heart. Uh, it's, it's really, really beautiful. So keep doing the work, keep excavating, um, keep calling those soul parts home and be in touch. If I can help sarahpoet.com have a wonderful day and we'll, we'll see you next week. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path, and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com, for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected, and here's to your path of sacred remembering.